You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas sermon podcast. For almost 130 years, FBCMF has served the Marble Falls and the Greater Highland Lakes area faithfully through children's programs, youth activities, and adult discipleship. We invite you to join us each and every Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. for deep fellowship, rich worship, and a spirit-filled message. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. For more information about our church or to watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org. Y'all, I love coming in and worshiping with all of you every Sunday like this. It it makes a huge difference in my life throughout the week. Um, I I believe this, the, the cumulative effect of worship and Bible study is, is so much greater than, than we know. It's not a question of, did I come to one worship service and, and it transformed my life? It's the issue of, um, was I there, 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 and you experience these words and, and you come together and hear the Bible stories and you hear the word of God um, preached. It's the cumulative effect of all of these things that makes a huge difference. Um, this morning is our last Sunday of Missions Month, y'all say, oh, it is, it's a sad deal, I love it, um, but as we have been doing all November, we've been having exciting interviews, and today we're going to, uh, to talk with a couple of people about mission work that our church is doing around the world. As you well know, our church goes to Honduras regularly, and Bulgaria, and Thailand, and uh, and, in other places, Kenya, and and you have the opportunity to really touch the whole world um, from right here in Marble Falls, Uh, whether you give to missions or whether you go. And this morning, we're gonna talk to a couple of people who have gone, and they have a neat message for us today. Will y'all please help welcome to the stage Evan Poole and Kelsey Hickingbottom. Y'all, thank you. Thank you. Evan and Kelsey, we're excited to visit with you guys, man. And Evan, you, you're, you're going to graduate and go off here soon, buddy. We're going to miss you. Um, but we always want you to keep doing mission work. But tell us a little bit about where you went and, and what you did, and Evan, kind of what it meant, meant to your life. Would you just share with us a little bit about your experience? Of course. So, uh, can you hear me? Oh, there we go. All right, so um, I went to Bulgaria this past summer. Um, we uh, started off in Sofia, which is the capital city uh, in western Bulgaria. Bulgaria is pretty small. Uh, you could fit about six of them into Texas. So um, we got around pretty easily. Um, we started off in Sofia. We met Stephen Cook uh, and his family, who were the head missionaries of the organization that we partnered with. And um, they took us to Levski, Bulgaria, which is north central, um, and there um, we put on uh, two different outreach events. Um, one was a, uh, a youth camp, and the other was an ESL class. Um, the youth camp was a blast. Uh, we had a great time getting to know the kids there and um, making friends with them, uh, playing some sports with them. Um, and then the ESL class was open to adults and youth. Um, there we uh, taught the Bulgarians some English, and they taught us some Bulgarian, uh, which was pretty cool, uh, language exchange. Uh, and in both of those, um, really the primary objective was to share uh, Christ's love for us, Christ's love for them, and how 
um, we're one in the body of Christ. Um, so that was pretty cool. Did you have a chance to share with, with people there the love of Christ a couple of times? Yeah, so um, later in the week, we moved a little bit further east to a city called Belico Turnovo. And um, there, our mission team kind of split into groups. Um, and Matt Evans and I were um, with one of the missionaries and got to meet with some different men in the city. Um, and it was very uh, personal and intentional. And we got to um, kind of share, I got to share my testimony with them. And they kind of shared theirs with me. And um, very kind of beautiful exchange there. Yeah. Man, what a cool thing, y'all. Well, Evan, we're proud of you. That That's very exciting, buddy. Um, Kelsey, so you went, you, you want to visit with us about two different places, don't you? So two years ago, you went to Kenya, and then this past summer, we, you were on the Bulgaria team, right? So I said that wrong in the last service. It was three summers ago, Kenya, two summers ago, Bulgaria. Oh, so okay, I didn't right, go right. with Evan. Okay. Yeah. Well, Sorry. <laughs> tell us about, uh, about Kenya first, and then tell us about um, Bulgaria. Sure. So um, when I went to Kenya this, uh, in 2017, it was actually my third time to go to Kenya. Um, and I am so lucky to have been three times because I uh, have such a, the Lord has given me such a passion for that country and those people. Um, I just feel at home, like, getting right off the plane. So um, we went with some of our youth. I went with some of our youth, and we, uh, for the majority of the week, were working uh, in a special needs school. And so we built a greenhouse for them so they can grow their own food. Um, we played sports with the kids and um, tried to teach our love of Christ to them. Um, and that was a great experience to see our students doing mm -hmm. that. And um, on the last day when we were leaving, all of us were in tears and didn't want to leave these sweet students. And so it was cool to see how God was working in our youth. Mm -hmm. um, and then on one of the last days there, we were able to go into the slums of Kibera, right outside of Nairobi, mm. um, which is a heart-wrenching thing to see and to experience, um, just to see that, that people are living in nothing. Um, we went to a school called Soweto Academy in the slums, and so this school provides food for these children and a place to live, and so we were just there as visitors. We weren't really serving in much capacity. And so we were able just to see what God is already doing in such a broken place. There was hope and he is working over there. So that was my major takeaway is that God doesn't need us, but we're lucky that he uses us. Well, even in, even in slums, doesn't he? Yeah. And tell us a little bit about Bulgaria as well. Yes, so um, in Bulgaria, like you said, we had very similar experiences. Um, we did the sports camp for the students, and then at the end of it, we would wrap it up by each of us would take turns sharing our testimony. Um, and then we did an ESL camp as well. Um, I think that major takeaway for me from that trip was being able to work alongside the missionaries there. Mm -hmm. um, it was such a blessing to get to know Stephen and Stacy and and see how God is using them. Callie, y'all, thank you for going and bringing back uh, your experiences and your stories and your energy to all of us. 
if, if you have never got a chance to share your testimony, to talk about what Jesus Christ means to you, you can do that. And, and our mission trips teach you how to do it. They put you in a context to where it, it comes very naturally, and then you can build on it, and you get better doing it right here in, in the Highland Lakes area as well. And you've heard that from, from both Evan and Kelsey. Um, y'all, thank you. We love you very much. Thank you for coming. We all help thank uh, Evan and Kelsey. All right. Let me direct your attention to the screens as we have a video about some of our mission work that was done this past summer. In, in Honduras in October, we took a group of men and women to make a difference in, in the lives of people around in Gracias, working with our church families. Uh, medically, we uh, saw over 200 people and helped them with their medical needs. We saw about 90 patients in pulling teeth and uh, in the dental work that our, our two ladies did. But the biggest difference we made in being in the hands and feet of Christ, loving on and praying with and sharing Christ with each one of them. My name is Sarah Lindley and I am the dentist on this mission group. I decided to join the mission group because I wanted to give back to people who might not otherwise be able to get dental care and who might actually be in pain because of it. So far we have pulled 232 teeth out of people who had teeth that were hurting them from over 90 patients and we were able to help those people and use our skills to show them um, God's love and how to give back to people um, in the community. An experience that affected me this week and that I don't think I will forget is when a girl came in who had been up crying for many nights as her, uh, as her parents told us when she came in and we were able to take out five teeth of hers that were hurting her and uh, eventually make her feel better and make her be able to sleep better. One of the ways First Baptist Church fulfills the Great Commission is uh, being on short-term mission projects. You learn about a different culture that Christians can live in and share their faith and be a part. You also learn about yourself and what God can do in your own life here in Marble Falls. But the most important part is being the hands and feet of Jesus wherever you are and sensing that call that God has given you. I think this will change my life because I will want to continue to do mission work. I um, really got to see God working in the people uh, of Honduras and the people on the mission trip too, including myself. And it makes me only want to do this more and, uh, and also give back to the people of my community um, in Marble Falls and Kingsland where I work because there are people in need there too. You can make a difference by praying, by giving, but you can make a big difference by going and letting God use you to share His name around the world. You can find out more about how to be a part of First Baptist Church Mission by going to discoverfirst.com missions. You can see the mission opportunities. You can look and pray about what God can use you, where he can send you. But lastly, you can sign up to go. Go 2020, be a part of the mission of what God has called us here at First Baptist Church.
I believe that Missions Month has a unique ability to realign our hearts to God's love for the entire world. Something that we forget about throughout the year as we get busy and we work on other things both here in our church and in our lives. And then we come to November and, and, and we are reminded and we see pictures of people all throughout our world and, and God really brings our heart back to some of the most fundamental important things that the Bible says for us to be about and that is to help make disciples of Jesus Christ all over our world. And, uh, and as we talk about this, I, in all of these years, it's always relevant. It's never tired. It's never worn out. It's always relevant and new. One of the things that Missions Month does for me is it reminds me that, that we are not the only Christians around. There are a whole lot all over our world and that Christianity did not start with us and Christianity will not end with us. But what we know is that in this time and in this place that God has put us, we are called to be faithful. We are called to do our very best in our context and in our moment in this world and that we get to be a part of God's amazing, redemptive, very grand work. And today, I, I want us to celebrate the grandness of God's plan and, and to celebrate the fact that, that we get to be involved in God's plan. And that makes our life worth living. To even conceive and think of a life where, where God is doing something but we would not get to be a part of it is not a life worth living. But it doesn't matter what you do in your career and it doesn't matter who you are when, when, when you get to be a part of what God is doing in, in that place or in that school then all of a sudden you have life and you have um, intentionality and there is something that's exciting when you get to bring to bear the kingdom of God wherever you are. The Great Commission brings life and our part in God's plan is so small but, but it's a part of something huge and it reminds me of something. Megan's mom and dad have one of the largest oak trees that I have ever seen I believe that it's in the top two or three oak trees in all of Atascosa County. The, cir the circumference of the tree measures 20 feet all the way around it. Um, Megan brought her uh, drama company in one day from Hardin-Simmons University, and uh, when they got there, the tree is big enough for all of them to be up in the branches and to take a neat picture. The, the tree dwarfs the house. And, and as I look at the tree, the amazing thing is I, uh, as I've looked at it before and I've just been in awe of how huge and, and magnificent it is, it's amazing to me that it started with that. Amen. A tiny acorn planted that huge, huge tree. And, and I think that that idea, how something so tiny can be something so grand, the, what, what we call the doctrine of the acorn and the oak is seen all throughout scripture, all throughout um, accomplishing something historical and global through something small and insignificant seems to be the way that God loves to do things. And I want you to think of the large oak 
first of what God is accomplishing in our world and just think of how huge it really is that from the very beginning, God was on a mission to restore, to reclaim, to rebuild his entire creation and to make everything right. Think of the word everything. God is making everything right. How how big is that? To make everything right is such a, a concept that it's very difficult for us to even wrap our mind around. It's nearly impossible to imagine because there are so many things about our world that are wrong. There are so many things about us individually that are wrong. If God only wanted to fix me, it would be a a chore. (laughs) There is a lot that has to be fixed. And when we think of how God is on mission to recreate and make everything new, how many things does he have to do that with? I, I read about a man who named Richard Phillips who was wrongfully convicted of something he did not do, and we finally let him out of prison 45 years later. Who's gonna make it up to him? How is God going to right the wrongs? A woman came into my office when I was a pastor in Hondo, um, 85 years old, so sweet, and she comes in one day, and we're talking, and she begins to weep, and I say, what's wrong? and, and she said, well, I was talking to you about how I grew up and I just miss my mom. And I said, tell me about her. And she goes, well, I didn't hardly know her. She died when I was nine. 85 years old, missing her mom. Who's gonna make that up to her? Who's gonna make that right? My mother took her students, the seniors in her class. She's an English teacher in South Texas and she took them this past Friday to the Holocaust Museum in, in uh, Houston. And uh, when she gets there, all of these students are exposed to what the Jews endured as six million of them died at the hands of the Nazis. Now the global historical consequences of, of the Holocaust could not even, we, we, we couldn't even figure it out how, how costly, how horrible that was. All of the lives, all the economics, all of the countries, everything that happened as a result. How does somebody go about putting all of that back together again? Um, I have an uncle named Alan Chandler, lives in Castroville, and a, a few years ago, somebody drove by his house, and, and he didn't know him, didn't know who this person was, but he firebombed his, his home. He he took a, uh, a glass bottle, filled it with gasoline, put a rudimentary um, kind of rag in it as a fuse, lit it, and he threw it, what people call a Molotov cocktail. He throws it in, blows his vehicle up, it catches the whole house on fire. My uncle barely gets out with his life and that of the life of his wife, who was dying of cancer at the time. How do you go about fixing the, these things and how many of them are there? I, If all of us were to start naming every 10 seconds something that was broken in our world, and we talked about the addictions, or we talked about the issues in our own lives and and hurt feelings that we have, or issues where we have hurt somebody else's feelings, issues of unforgiveness, issues of sexual immorality that have continued to haunt, and all of these things, that when we 
if all of us were to begin adding it up, we could give out a broken thing every 10 seconds. And if we did that for 100 years, then we would list over 310 million broken things in our world. And we wouldn't have even scratched the surface because there are seven billion people in our world and every one of them have issues. And so when we add it up, all of the brokenness, and, and not just with people, the Bible says that even creation itself, even the earth is groaning. That there is something when sin came into our world in Genesis 3, it, it, it put us not only in opposition with God and opposition with one another, but somehow in opposition with, with our earth. And everything is messed up. And when we think of how huge that is, the author of the book of Revelation struggled to imagine all of it, and, and it was John. And so John wrote at the very end of the book of Revelation this, this crazy idea. It said, and Jesus who sits on the throne, will say, behold, I am making all things new. How massive of an undertaking is that? The statement, behold, I am making all things new, come on the heels of talking about the, the new heaven and, and, and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And in the middle of fixing all of the brokenness and all of the messed up things, he, he talks about this thing that God is doing and creating this massive newness and, and, and the fixing of everything. And, and he said this, behold, the tabernacle of God is going to be with men and they're gonna dwell with him and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, and no more pain, and no more mourning, for the old things have passed away. Everything in creation is being made new in Jesus Christ. Everything that was unjust and broken is gonna be fixed and set back right. So God is, is doing something right now that is going to fix our world and every living thing in it and every person's life and even, even up to the point of all of the planets and how they are aligned and the galaxies that they are a part of and the entire universe, all of created order being made right under King Jesus. How massive of an endeavor is, is that? I don't know, y'all can tell me maybe if we speculate for a moment, I think that maybe remaking our earth is harder than making it in the first place. You ask any contractor, which is easier, to build a home from the ground up or to go into some place and try to remodel it? A lot of them will say, my goodness, it's a lot harder to remodel things. You get into something and you realize it's a lot deeper and a lot worse than you thought it was gonna be. They would say, I'd much rather build the house from the ground up, then remodel it. I wonder how hard it is for God to remodel his creation and to start things perfectly new to where everything is made right. God is doing something that to our knowledge, even God himself has never ever done before, recreating everything. 
And that's the oak that I'm talking about. And we're gonna get to this. But I wanted to paint a picture of the oak and the remodeling of all of it and to show the, the grandness of how God is getting our world. Revelation 21 is right there. The remodeling, the remaking of everything. But how does God get such a broken, messed up thing in all of us and fix it all? How does he get us from here to there? I'm amazed that he starts so small. He starts with an acorn, the acorn of a man named Abraham. And Amy Stubblefield read this message just a moment ago to you. If you would, turn back in your copy of God's word to Genesis 3 because that's what she read, and I, and, and I want you to, to see it. In Genesis 3, I'm sorry, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We're, we're going to get to something neat. We're going to build to it. How is God fixing the world? He is going to start incredibly small, a tiny acorn. The scripture says in Genesis 3, I mean Genesis 12, that he calls out to a man named Abram, who who becomes Abraham, and he he says to him, Abram, I want you to leave where you're from, and I want you to go to a new land, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And oftentimes, what we do in the church is we focus on the person of Abraham and we focus on the great nation that God brings out of him, which is the Israelites, the Jewish nation, the Hebrew people. And, and we really fixate on that. But what we, what, what we often miss in this calling of Abraham, and in Genesis 12 is the calling of Abraham, what we miss is verse 3, which is the real implications of all of it. I have it here for you on the screen because the question is, God calls Abraham builds a nation out of Abraham, but ultimately, who is it for? What is the end that God is trying to get to? It says, and in you, Abram, all the families of the earth. That's a historical statement. All the families of the earth will be blessed. God begins to remodel and rework our earth that he talks about in Genesis 21 and he starts it in, in, I mean, in Revelation 21 and he starts it in Genesis 12. Through you, Abram, the small acorn, I'm going to build this over here. God's election of Abraham to go and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed had global implications that not even he or or anybody knew about. God cares about the whole world. One commentator explained it like this, and he says it beautifully. The election of Abraham in Genesis 12 is not designed to isolate this family, the Hebrews, Jews, and Israel, from the other families of the earth. On the contrary, this family is to become the vehicle by which all families of the earth may be reconciled to God. In Abraham and his descendants, all the nations of the earth are to be blessed. 
Thus, the selection of Abraham's family is a means to an end in God's overall plan for this world. Long before John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, God put John 3.16 into motion in Genesis 12 that out of this one man, Abraham, a whole nation might be built up. And sometimes the nation of Israel would start to be a little bit selfish. They would start to see that everything was about them and God wouldn't let anything happen to them. It's all about us. And the prophets would have to go and speak to them. No, 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 no. Your election is on behalf of others. God is doing something to bring the whole world to this place. It is not just about you. And in Isaiah, the prophet says this about the nation of Israel. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Old Testament passages teaching us that God was always going to do something great to make it all right once again. Um, and through this, the created world spoken of in Revelation 21 is beginning to be worked on through little, small moments. Abram, the small nation of Israel. And this same idea continues in the New Testament where, where small moves to large. Uh, a little acorn planted in faith can become something really, really significant. Luke picks up this idea as well in the New Testament. When we take Luke's writings, we take the Gospel of Luke, and then we take the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote, and we put Luke and Acts together, then what we can see is a movement of the Gospel from small to large, at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, um, the, the, the Word of God begins in, in this very small kind of context in this insignificant, backwoods group of nobodies. Uh, the Bible says, and there was a man named Joseph. He doesn't have king in front of his name. He doesn't have ruler in front of his name. He has no accolades whatsoever. He is not on any boards, and nobody is asking him to sit and to become a trustee of anything. He is just this man, Joseph, and he lives in Galilee in a place where nobody lives called Nazareth. Even the people in Nazareth thought Nazareth was nowhere. Nazareth. Nathaniel, the, one of the followers of Jesus, when he's talking about Nazareth, he said, can anything good come from that place? Luke begins his gospel in Nazareth with a no-name person named Joseph and a expecting mother named Mary. He starts the book in such a small, insignificant moment that if you were to begin reading it at that point, you might have a tendency just to close it right there because it begins in such a pathetic way. But from that, from that little acorn of a situation, God begins to build, 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 and Luke tracks it from here to there and from here to there and from here to there until finally he begins the book of Acts. 
to show how God is moving forward and finally he gets to chapter 28 in the book of Acts and what started out in Nazareth um, and started out in Bethlehem and these little places, now the gospel that Jesus Christ is, is remaking our whole world has now come to Rome itself, the center of the world, and even to Caesar. This amazing movement that we see. I wonder if that's the reason that, that Jesus said, you know, if you ask me about the kingdom of God, I'll tell you it's like a mustard seed. You, you plant, it's the smallest of seeds, but you plant it and it can become the largest of plants. You see this same moving from small to large over and over again in, in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. The, the, the Holy Spirit comes and it just comes to Jerusalem, but at the end of this day, all of the people there take it to all of these other places. It goes from Jerusalem to Mesopotamia to Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and Rome. And y'all from Rome... The gospel moves way, way out to all parts of the world because the emperors would send all of their soldiers and all of their slaves and everybody, and he would relocate them um, to France, which is ancient Gaul, and to Germany, and he would send them way, way up to the far reaches of the Roman Empire like northern England. In 120 AD, Christianity began coming into England. It's because Emperor Hadrian got all of his soldiers, a lot of his soldiers together, and he got others, and he said, I want y'all to go and build a wall um, to keep the Scots out of Lower England and to keep all the Picts, a group of people, out of Lower England as well. And so all of these soldiers went, and they started building this wall, and many of them were Christians. When my family and I were there, we went to all of these museums as we were hiking along northern England, and and it was amazing, a lot of the artifacts that, that we saw, some of them showed that there were Christians living in northern England in 120 AD. How did they get there? Emperor Hadrian sent them there. The emperors sent out these people thinking that they were building their own kingdom and in reality they were building the kingdom of God. Um, they, the, the emperors were sending out missionaries. And it was small, it was one person, and one person, and one person, until finally, the emperor sends it, and all of England begins to come to know Christ, until finally, England in the 1800s becomes the heartbeat of the mission-sending nation of the whole world. Some of the greatest scholars came out of there. Uh, We we see how the gospel moved to Africa in Acts 7 where there's an Ethiopian man that encounters a deacon and he goes and he leaves and goes down into Ethiopia taking the word of God with him. It moved east to India and China and it moved north. The gospel went to Russia as well. All of these nations and all of these people groups, little by little, small acorn by small acorn, involved in something that they never even knew or thought was possible when they heard the phrase, behold, Jesus is making all things new and he can make your life new too. And that phrase, that, that idea, oh, you mean the world doesn't have to stay the way it is? 
You mean I mean something to people? I can have something better and different than what I have? I can have eternal life? Yes, yes, and yes. And the small moments of that message going out through the empire began to make a difference until finally people in England began to go across the Atlantic Ocean and that idea that God is making all things new in Christ Jesus finally came to you. How did it come to you? Were you at a vacation Bible school? Were you at a a revival? Did your mom and dad share it with you? How did the gospel come to you? And when you accepted it, it was small. You were just one person among many. You were one little person, but you were a part of this. You were a part of the recreation of the planets and the solar system and every human being in all of history. You were a part of the remodeling of everything and you were just a small part of it. You were a part and that's why we believe that missions accomplishes something because we have no idea what, what, what will happen if we allow God to take our faith our testimony, our story, and plant it like an acorn deep in the lives of other people. We have no idea the movement that that's going to begin and that we are a part of all of this over here. We have an idea. That's, the idea is this is why we put all the flags up here. That yes, we're citizens of one, but through the kingdom of God, we're citizens of them all. We're a part of something that God is doing that, that's huge. Your part is a part of this. And after we take all the flags down and missions month will end, we still have a mission center right out here that sits at the heart of our church that still has the map of the world and all of the flags up in it as well. And on Sundays and Wednesdays, we often turn the television on in there and we scroll the news, the news from the whole world. And you can go into the mission center and you can see what's happening in Hong Kong today. Or you can see what's happening in Syria today and all of these places. And the question that we want you to ask yourself when you see those things on the news is this. What is the responsibility of God's church to that situation? What is the church and Christians rise up to do about it? What would happen if we planted our small, seemingly insignificant effort in the middle of all of that? We believe that what the Bible teaches over and over and over again is that one single moment can make a a global movement and a global difference. You might think, you know what, I don't don't know. I I really am quite small. And, and, And if you thought that, Welcome to the club. You are no different than any other person in the word of God who said, I, I, I can't or I won't or I don't. And when the gospel, when, when God came to Gideon, he said, Gideon, I want you to make a difference. Gideon's response was, I am the smallest person in my family and my family is the smallest person among my tribe and my tribe is the smallest tribe among all of Israel, and Israel is one of the smallest nations among the whole earth, and so God, what you're saying is, in the whole earth, you could not have chosen somebody smaller than me. And God said, 
but I'm doing this, and I'm doing it. Come on, Gideon. Come on. Norman shared with me a story this past week of what happened when one man heard a story in a hospital room, and he said, yes, I'll do this, and it was small, and I want you to see the smallness and how big and grand it became. Norman, would you share that story with us? Yes. And we'll, we'll end with this. Just Ross, it was this past week I was with the Texas Baptist Convention in Waco and uh, got to see a lot of different pastors and people around, the, around Texas, but also at a breakfast we were talking with some people from the Northwest Convention, which is uh, Washington and Oregon, part of Utah. Yeah. And as we were there, one of the guys, Ivan Montenegro, was telling a story about what took place in his life. He was asked to do a Bible study in a hospital there in Vancouver, Washington. And as he was there, there were about 10 to 12 that showed up for the little Bible study, little prayer time in the hospital. But it got around that this pastor, this, this uh, man was there leading a Bible study and praying. A rancher that was really sick outside of Vancouver came down and said, begin to listen and ask, can you pray for me? after the Bible study. And so he prayed with, with this man, and um, after they prayed, he said, I've got some workers that need to know Christ. Can you do a Bible study at my ranch? He said, yes. <laughs> and so he started Bible study about three years ago at the ranch, and about 20, 30, 40 showed up, and they were growing, and after a while, over 150 were there. The rancher was asked, I guess I need to build a church here in my warehouse for you. And he continued to have that Bible study. From that Bible study, others began to know about things going on. And right now, there are over 20, 25 Bible studies. We could call them churches. About 50 to 100 all around that Vancouver area. Last month, they had Evangelistic Crusade. They had a, an event that took place. And these churches got together and they, they shared Christ and reached out to their community. And a few weeks ago... They decided to baptize all that came to know Christ. And the rancher said, you can have the baptism here because there's not a place you can baptize all these people. And so they're on the river of this guy's ranch. They had about 10 pastors that were going to show up. And, and as they started to baptize, they got other people to baptize because they were baptizing that day 1,500 people that had come to know Christ in that area. Yeah. God did some great work. And... And just to let you know, in that Northwest Convention, that's, they, they say there are 3% of the people in the Northwest that go to church on a Sunday. Because of some of the things that are going on around now, there's about 4%. <laughs> <laughs> and, and God has moved. But let's tell you, while they were baptized in the rancher, his two grandchildren who accepted to Christ a few, a few weeks prior, they were flying over in their helicopter looking at all the things that were taking place. And the grandchildren just said, Granddad, can we be baptized too? And they let down his, his helicopter, got it, and they, they were baptized. Because of one man saying, yes, I'll do a Bible study in the hospital. Very few people will come, but I'll do a Bible study. Yes, I'll, I will pray for you. Yes, I'll start a little Bible study for your ranch hands. Not only 1,500, but this rancher got to see his grandchildren come to know Christ and see them baptized. I want to tell you, one yes in this community will help change the world. God, Norman. Thank you, bro. Will, will, you, will you allow the Lord to take an acorn of your faith 
and plant it into our world so that it can be a part of God's redemptive, reworking, remodeling of everything in creation. Will you do that? Bow your heads with me. This morning, if anyone here feels called youth or adults and you, you, you think, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm called into ministry, I'm called to missions in some way. This is the same kind of service that the Slikers and the Pettis family said, you know, I, I, we're, gonna make, we're gonna make known what God has laid on our heart and God may be doing the same thing with any one of you in here. This morning, if you're far away from God, you know that you're not where you need to be, Will you rededicate your life to the Lord this morning and say, God, please come back, um, back uh, into my life. I'm not the Christian that I need to be. I rededicate my life to you. Y'all give your life anew to the Lord again. And, and, and if you do not know Christ as your Savior, You've been listening to the First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas sermon podcast. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. For more information about our church or to watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.